1: Today is by Francis Bacon. He said, The job of the artist is always to deepen the mystery. Hello everyone, my name is Addie Hirshton. I'm a contemporary Impressionist painter, art instructor, author, and public speaker. The purpose of this podcast is to share stories about art and artists to inspire you and help you move forward. On the show, I interview artists from a wide variety of mediums so that we can learn from each other's processes and philosophy. Today's podcast features an interview with the painter, Carrie Schmidt, and a review of Elizabeth Gilbert's new book, Big Magic. Announcements. So I've started my next book. It is a Nuts and Bolts Guide to Painting. And one of the chapters is a step-by-step guide to my painting process. For a very limited time, you can download that chapter for free by going to my art blog, artistaddy.com, and signing up for my newsletter on the left-hand side of the page. This guide has multiple photographs of The process that I go through when I create a painting, and I'd love to hear your feedback about it so I can incorporate it into my book. I'm also happy to announce that I will be teaching at the September 2016 Art and Soul Retreat in Virginia Beach. There, I will be doing a two day workshop on Victorian flower painting, as well as a one day workshop. On the secret language of symbols. So if you'd like to join me for either of those classes or both, go to artandsoulretreat.com to register. Now, without further ado, here's my interview with Carrie Schmidt. Carrie Schmidt is a contemporary painter who designs patterns for stationery and home decor with companies such as Hallmark, Tenue's Publishing, Dinoche Designs, Woodmanstern, and more. She teaches wood workshops all over the country and has produced three art technique DVDs with FW Media. Her book, Painted Blossoms Creating Expressive Flower Art with Mixed Media, offers a refreshing, bright, and modern guide to painting florals. Find out more about her work on her website, CarrieSchmidtDesign.com. Welcome, Carrie. Hi, Addie. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for being here. So what's the story of how you became an artist?
0: Okay, well, i love to share my story. Um, It's a little bit different than how most people find art, Um, In 2009, I was diagnosed with a life threatening allergy to heat. So, um, just all of a sudden, one day I couldn't leave my home. I lived in the Midwest where it was in the hundreds all summer and Uh really humid. Yeah, so I was homebound. And um, not only that, but I couldn't really move my body much. um, So, I couldn't walk up and down the stairs or sweep Mm -hmm. or even hold my newborn um, because um, if I sensed any heat, my body would go into anaphylactic shock, and we would call the paramedics, which we, we did often, almost daily, for a while. Yeah, it was really um, depressing, and just so my whole life stopped. It was kind of like a sudden death of my old life, and I was in bed, and um, this voice popped in my head and said, Now that your life is over, you might as well do what you want and paint. And I didn't even know I wanted to paint. Um, I have no idea where that voice came from. Um, Now, I I think it was my intuition or something or my soul. But, um, you know, I was so desperate. I decided to listen to that because I didn't have anything else to really do to occupy my time. Um, And so I ordered some supplies and I um, started watching videos online and I just began painting, um, and at first I had to paint really slowly because I couldn't move my arms very fast. Um, and I, it just I got lost in the process. So it was the only time I was able to forget about my heat allergy, which was devastating to me. Mm-hmm. I'd always been an active person, so um, it it really got me through that time and I fell in love with the process and I felt really alive again. So I picked up Kelly Ray Roberts book, taking flight Um, one night, my husband drove me to the art store and he would drive me literally up to the door so I could run inside before I sensed the the humidity. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I found her book at the checkout line and it really changed my life. She was an artist just um, doing, you know, making it um, as a career. And I decided that that's what I wanted to do with my life. And, um, I just felt so like my soul just felt so on fire and alive and passionate about it. Hmm. So I just made that commitment to myself that I wanted to do that. And the funny thing is, um, several years later I ended up writing a book. Oh, when I read her book, I was like, someday I'm going to write a book like this. And I even had the same author, uh, editor and publisher. So it was, it was really neat. It kind of came full circle. Oh. So that's how I began. Nice. <laughs> so Yeah. And I always, like to tell that because i began as a true beginner i didn't go to art school Mm -hmm. i loved art as a child um but i didn't know anything so i started from ground zero um i didn't know anything about paint and nothing
1: okay yeah oh that's so exciting yeah Yeah. well and, and it's lovely too because you turned a negative into a positive and yeah. it's always so refreshing and lovely when people are able to do that and have the strength and courage to do that.
0: Right. I, I felt like I didn't really have a choice. Um, and I knew that um, it seemed like the universe really opened up this opportunity for me. It kind of stopped me in my tracks and it gave me like the space and time to pursue this. I am glad I listened to that voice um, because who knows where I'd be now. But it's really made all my dreams come true, um, just the, the life that I imagined, it really, uh, it, in other ways. I live in the Pacific Northwest now. We had to move here because of my heat allergy, because of the climate, okay. and I'd always wanted to live out west, um, so it kind of, like, pushed me to do to do those things. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been life-changing, and I'm glad I got through it, because it used to be, I mean, I had some really dark days. I'm kind of coming out on the other side. Um, it's more positive now, so...
1: Wonderful. Yeah. So I see you're teaching workshops and online courses now. What made you decide to become an art teacher and to pursue that path along with it? Uh, Well, I'm so passionate about um, just the power of
0: creating and how it affects your life in so many incredible ways that I really want to share that with other people because Usually when I talk to people, they tell me their stories about how they also like to create. But, you know, they always tell me they're not an artist, but they used to like to do this or that. And so I feel like people have this desire to do that. Um, And so I just want to share my story with them and um, Mm -hmm. encourage people to do that. Because one of the things that surprised me is when I started painting, I just thought that's all it was. I was just going to paint. But it really impacts your life. It changes Mm -hmm. Who you are as a person. It changes the experiences you have. It changed my outlook on life, my attitude, my spirituality. It changed me completely. So I really do want to um, share that with people and let them know that hopefully, you know, anybody can do this. If I can do this, anybody can do this. You don't have to have a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just whenever I'm excited about something, I want to tell other people about it. Um, I think that I love storytelling and I was an English major. So I have this like Uh urge to communicate um, experiences so I can do that through the teaching. And there's just so much joy in the process. I mean, it's, it's just so fun and it's a way to connect with other people. So teaching allows you to be in an environment when you're in person with amazing, uh, a group of amazing people. And um, it's just, you come away really energized and refreshed and everybody's sort of, upbeat from feeding off everyone else's positive energy so it's just it's just a beautiful thing I I can't get enough of it in my life so
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I know the feeling I I quite agree
0: (laughs) yeah yeah I mean it's so healthy to retreat it is like a retreat you're retreating into this sacred space of creating and we don't have a lot of that in our culture anymore where we come together Um, and take time to celebrate these types of things. Everyone's so busy. Um, I think other cultures still find the time to do that. So it's just a gift and everyone feels good when they leave and they're all amazed at what they've done. So,
1: yes. Yes. So when you're teaching these classes, what do you end up saying most often to your students? Um, I
0: usually just have to encourage everyone to play. I think as adults we forget how to do that, and we're so judgmental um, with ourselves. So if we're yeah. constantly judging our art, um, mm-hmm. then there there's no joy in that, and it it doesn't help the process. So if you, it, it's really not productive to you know be critical, um, because I, I teach intuitive painting, and so that is uh, based on the belief that you know you have everything you need within to create it's about just allowing your playfulness to come out and we build layers of color and marks. And then um, there's sort of this act of faith that something will emerge. So I just layer uh, my paintings several layers with just playing and it looks like a mess, but eventually I start to see imagery. So for me, I see flowers Mm -hmm. usually, but some people see birds or mountains or, I mean, people. Um, I've done like goddess paintings, such these like, goddess images mm-hmm. just emerge even though I'm thinking I'm gonna paint flowers um, and then I just go with it so yeah. it's a passive experience where you're just allowing the painting to sort of come to you and and that's really it's comforting you don't have to worry about it there's no yeah. stress um, if you don't see anything you know you just keep going with the layers so Yeah. I mean, I've even forgotten your question now because (laughs) it was, what do you say most often to you? That's what I tell them. Just have fun and have faith. So it's fun and faith um, that, you know, it'll be okay. So be playful. That's the number one thing. And it's hard for people to do and people get attached to, to different things in their painting and then we keep building layers. So we're covering stuff we like, and that's just as hard as, you know, being critical is getting too precious with what you're doing. Yeah. So that's just a practice and letting go. So you can see all these themes, how they might carry over into your life. You know, having faith, everything will be all right. Letting go, um, not being critical. And if you practice this every day in your studio, you're going to find that it affects how you, you know, live your life. It's just so, it's amazing. I'm not the only one that says that every intuitive artist I know has had similar experiences, um, how it bleeds into your life. And, and then you start treating your life as, um, you know, a, just practice for your painting so you have to live in a healthy way so that you can paint so it's just this beautiful reciprocity I can't say the word uh but it's (laughs) something like that it's really powerful and it's exciting to see people at the beginning of their journey in my classes um you know you just see those moments where Maybe there's a little light bulb or they feel something different, you know, just they have some sort of breakthrough or something. So
1: yeah, yeah. So you've mentioned intuitive painting a couple of times and I've read a book that was called um, intuitive painting and I, I can't remember the author's name, but um, would you call this a movement at this point or? Yes, I I, I think it is. I just talk. I was just talking to a
0: friend about um, I think this is a movement and I, I mean, it might sound Silly to say this, but you know I could see this someday being studied in um, academia, mm. in art um, history because yeah I think it's a huge movement. Um, I mean, there's been people doing it for a while, sure, but I definitely think it's taking off. Um, and it's a very spiritual movement, um, yeah. self spirituality. There's a lot of self reflection involved yeah um and self-work and um mm-hmm. the the really cool thing for me with the intuitive painting community that I'm I'm aware of and that I'm a part of is that there's this component where it's really health-based so you know you have this image of artists being like suffering or you know like Van Gogh cutting his ear off <laughs> or you know, yeah. this there's this history of like sort of the mad artists and and the struggle yeah and this has really yeah. flipped that to a healthier model where it's like we are valuing our mind body spirit. We're seeing that connection and our art. So we're taking care of ourselves and celebrating that. And it's, a, it's a really positive empowering movement. Now, yeah, most of the people I know that do it are women. So mm-hmm. I would say it's, it's, there's this empowering quality for women. And then there's this community that's created from it. It's really accepting and there's, it's not competitive. Um, so this attitude is like we're better together, like collectively, we help each other and um you know it improves our art and so it's it's really special.
1: I hope it's studied and I hope it's a movement. So yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it is and I think it will be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
0: it's yeah. powerful for sure.
1: So, like you, I'm a yogi and your online course, um, you've got one that's described as inspired by yoga what does that mean and what can students expect to sign up for that course
0: okay so I'll give you a little background I was writing my book um a couple years ago and I was it was in February and that's a rough month for me it's you know we have a rainy season in Seattle and it's kind of gloomy um and so by that time of year it kind of gets to me a little bit although Mm -hmm. I love it um but I was up every time I sat down to type, I just realized that um, my mind was fuzzy. I, I just didn't feel good. I had a short attention span. And, you know, I felt like the book, I needed every ounce of me in that if I wanted to create something that was all of me. Mm-hmm. And um, I just knew my it was my body was not feeling well. Like I knew that was the missing piece and it was like giving birth. So, you know, your body's a part of that. Um that's what it felt like writing a book. So it is the same voice that popped in my head to tell me to, you know, start painting, just popped in my head one day and said, it's time to do yoga. And I ignored it for a couple of weeks, but every time I sat down to write, it was like this little voice was like, you need to do yoga. So finally I was like, fine, I'll do it. <laughs> stop, stop. Yeah. So, um, I was nervous because, unlike the painting, um, I've tried to do yoga several years ago, and I, I was two minutes in, and I just started swelling up. Like, I could barely move. And I get really upset when that happens um, for a number of reasons. I've, I'm competitive. I used to be an athlete. And so when I can't do something, I get really depressed. Like, my, oh. it takes me a few days to, you know, get over it. It's, it's just sad to me that you know, I want to be alive. And uh, part of that is my body. So I've avoided any situation where I would be upset. So I I just avoided physical activity. And that's what my doctors told me to do. But I was like, fine, I'm going to do this because you know, this voice is like won't go away. So I went to a gentle yoga class. And um, I was really weak. And my doctors told me my muscles would atrophy, which they did from not using them. So I couldn't do anything. And um, I really felt, like I remember thinking, wow, I'm really disabled. Like I'm really handicapped. I can't do this stuff. It was hard and that's hard for me as I had always been strong before. So, um, you know, they're like really, they're like 80 year old women in the class and me and they're just kicking my butt. They're like amazing. And I, so, um, but I got through the class and I had to tell my teacher, you know, I have a seat allergy, I have an EpiPen. So I had a fan and some cooling towels. I got through it, but it wasn't easy. So mm. the rest of the day, my kids were like, "You're in the best mood," and I was like, "Yeah," because I I can feel my body. I feel alive. So I was really achy. Like parts of me that hadn't, like I hadn't felt in years, had been like you know triggered. Oh. And I was like, I feel so good. So I stuck with it, and it was hard. And I drove home a lot from the yoga studio. I'd have a reaction. I'd, I'd leave the studio and I'd drive home crying but every day I would get up and I would go back. Cause I was like, I'm not giving up. I, I loved it right away. Um, so I was like, I'm going to beat this. Like, so I, I would go back every day, no matter what, even if I, you know, got kicked to the ground with my heat allergy over time, my heat allergy disappeared. Um, and now I'm, I can do like level two, three and I do it every day and I can do poses that used to, I would overheat immediately. I can do them now forever. So it's been another life changing situation. So anyway, what it did is like, made me feel just completely alive. It was like the missing part of my life. Um, it healed me pretty much almost a hundred percent. Um, and so one day when I was painting, I felt this new kind of energy come through me really loose and free. And I knew it was in there. I had been like, I knew I was holding back when I was, you know, I'm working on the canvas for a couple years. I knew there was more inside me, this sort of wildness that I couldn't get out, but I could feel it. And I felt, you know, yoga is about like kind of clearing your energy channels and your, you know, chakras. And okay. so I felt this rush come out of me while I was painting, it's kind of loose freeness. And I knew it was from yoga. I just could tell right away. Um, and that was what I was waiting for. So as soon as it happened, I'm like this was what I was, I've been trying to get out. So I I knew it was directly related and then I just became completely passionate about sharing that with other people um, because I've never felt so good in my life and it did impact my art a lot. I mean, you know, so uh, the class is about that and it's about incorporating yoga into your life no matter what level you're at. Um, And the projects are yoga inspired, so they all have something to do with yoga. So one is a chakra tree. We make a mixed media tree, but it's very personal. So there's some reflection going into it. You're infusing your own story into it, um, and that's important to me. I think people sense that when we're connected with our paintings, they Mm -hmm. feel that connection. So we talk about that. It's sort of this, you know, multidisciplinary approach to art. And then we paint yoga mats and um, we create a like a chakra crown. Um, A self-portrait that anybody can do. I have no training in faces, but um, there's really interesting technique that anybody can, you know, do a self-portrait. Okay. Yeah, and so there's a few more projects, um, but they're all tied to yoga in some way. And the whole class is about sort of healthy mind, body, spirit, and, and how that helps us in our art. So I painted my yoga mat early on because that's why I was at the yoga studio. I, I wanted to remind myself like you're here for your art, you know, like this is helping you okay. write and paint. So that's that's where I that's why I started doing that. Awesome. Yeah. Sorry, I hope this was too long. An no,
1: answer. not at all. Not at all. Lots of meat there. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So your work's available, printed on a wide variety of formats that you license to different companies. How did you break into that industry? And what's your experience doing that? Yeah, that's a really
0: good question. Because um, I think some people are just kind of lost when it comes to that. Um, I put my art on Pinterest. So everything I, all my paintings go on there and they link back to my website and every licensing deal that has approached me, has found me through Pinterest, which okay. is pretty remarkable. Because, you know, you post something, if people like it, they start pinning it for you and it just spreads like wildfire. So you're getting like help from other people to you know pass your work on, which is yes. amazing.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, so it's a great tool. Uh, I think Hallmark found me there, uh, to News, Woodminster, they all found me there. And, um, I, my agent, I think found me on Pinterest. So that's, yeah. If I was going to say, put your art somewhere, that's where I would put it. Mm. I'm, I'm also really active on Instagram. Um, I think that's a great venue as well. You know, Facebook has some restrictions now. If you have a business page, it doesn't, your posts don't reach everybody. So yeah. Yeah. that's frustrating. Yeah, it is. I, yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, that's what I did. And they contacted me. It's been an interesting process. Um, you never, unless they pay you up front, which some of them do for an image, you know, you never really know what royalties you're going to get in the mail. Like when you get a check, it's like, Ooh, I have no idea what this is going to (laughs) be. So it's not like great to like count on it for me. Sure. But you know, it's exciting. I mean, it's just fun. It's fun to see that your work is like appreciated and out there, you know, it, it just makes it fun. And I wouldn't say financially, it's been, it's been good. It hasn't been like, I don't know. I'm not, you know, buying a new house with the money or anything, sure, but sure. It's, uh, it's a good one good uh, venue for like an income stream. You know, I have multiple income streams sure. and it's such a good option for one of them, you know,
1: yeah.
0: at least for me. I mean, unless I have some
1: really huge
0: contract deal, that's so far it's been
1: good on the yeah. yeah, and I bet it spreads the word about what you're doing.
0: Yeah, I, it yeah. does. I've had a ton of people in, like, Australia and England oh. contact me. Yeah, because my art is over over there. And, I mean, I, I have people from other countries, too, but it seems like there's a large group in those two countries. Um, and it is it – spreads, it spreads the word about your art. I've had people buy originals from seeing that over in Europe or, you know – So, and it gives you some legitimacy to buyers, I think, you know, oh, she must be a real
1: artist or something. I don't know.
0: I don't think that, but, you know, to some people that matters. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh,
0: People who, yeah. So it's, it's been great. I I don't regret it at all. And I love working with those, the companies I work with, I really, truly um, enjoy, you know, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't work with a company if I didn't uh, have a good relationship with them. So, yeah, it's really exciting. My parents love it, you know, when I when I get a new deal. <laughs> so it's fun to see your stuff in the stores, too.
1: What role can art have in the lives of people who seek mental and physical healing? Oh, yeah,
0: I love that. Um, well, so I was telling someone recently, I think a lot of people do find art art when they're at some low point in their lives a lot of times it's health related Mm -hmm. you know because that can like just you can get your feet like just kicked out from under you and um, Mm -hmm. I think in those moments you're really stripped to the core of who you are you know it's like all the non-essentials go away when you're facing a crisis and you start to kind of be aware of what really matters so a lot of people find art that way and a lot of people find it really late in life, um, mm-hmm. you know, when they're elderly, um, but, or when they have time, but if you're facing some challenges like that, I, why is, why do I find art healing? Is that what you're saying? Or how? perhaps, or
1: what role can it have in oh, people's oh. lives as they're healing?
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Sorry. Um, no, you're Um, for me, it was, it was just therapeutic. It was, you know, you're using a different part of your brain I think um so it just takes you to this other place where time doesn't really exist Mm -hmm. you're kind of in this peaceful zone so almost like a meditative um trance or you know you're just really relaxed and it's joyful so humans I think are creative by nature and and it feels good when we create you know there's like this chemical release Um, And that's just proven by science over and over how powerful it is. It's healthy for your body um, and your mind. And, you know, it's just reflective. So and you're doing something, um, you're creating something and that feels good. So I think that's really what it offers. And it's a chance to connect with other people. It leads to conversations and, you know, you get to share something about you that you can't necessarily put into words.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Definitely. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I know I used to work at an adult daycare center in college and most of them had Alzheimer's. And I noticed whenever we did our our art projects, they really came alive like they started talking. They would remember things. And as soon as we were done, everybody would shut back down and they wouldn't speak. And they'd kind of go into their own little world. But it was like magic when you brought when they started using their hands. They came alive again. So it's really powerful. You know, Um, I mean, there's so many ways it's used in art therapy and rehab, rehabilitation for prisoners and things like that. So I think it's the potential is like unlimited with what it can do for people.
1: Mm, Yeah. In my own experience, when I was in college, I went through a period of time where I created a lot of abstract paintings that were very emotional. It was about purging my emotions and then mm-hmm. after that time period I realized you know I I, I don't want to keep these paintings mm-hmm. anymore because I'm mm-hmm. I'm done with that and I learned what I needed to learn and yeah, um, and I was able to heal through that process and what I ended up doing was burning a bunch of them because uh, it was like yeah. I need to release those and let them go and I didn't want to pass them on to other people I think because they were almost too personal in many right. cases um, how much does the the End product matter when it's a mm. it's a painting that's that's about the healing process. Yeah, um, I mean, I don't
0: think the end product matters at all. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so people ask me that sometimes um, if it's hard for me to share my art, and it used to be I was a little nervous about you know showing other people when I was starting, but mm. it's so much. it Then something changed. It's so much a part of the process now. I don't the end result is like a byproduct it is it's not the reason i paint you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's like there's a whole lifestyle involved that has become more important to me so the the artistic lifestyle is really why i do this now i didn't start that way but that's become my love and my focus so all the things i do outside my studio and during the process to me that's like the whole juiciness that's why i'm still doing it That's where all the beauty lies. And then I have, when I'm done, I have this nice painting. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's when it's done. That, every you know, it's over. That's what I show. That's the result. And then you start over again. Um, So it's just, it's a thing at the end of this amazing journey. Mm -hmm. And it's, I want to share it with people. I mean, I love my paintings and um, I like cherish them, but yeah, it's not really the point. Um, for, for me or for a lot of artists. Yeah. So I think it's okay. You know, if you feel like you could do whatever you want to do with them, but that's really cool that you found that as a way to get that out and express yourself. That's really cool. And that's the whole point of art, you know, is, um, that freeing up of this energy inside of you and Mm -hmm. transferring it. I like to paint people ask me where I find inspiration and I find it through other people. So I love meeting new people. I like, I just live to connect with other kindred souls and I feel like everyone has something to tell me and I really try to pick up on their energy and how they make me feel. Mm -hmm. And I try to convey that in my art. So I bring pieces of them into my art and that's really lately where I've been finding all my inspiration. So, you know, any way you do that, sometimes it's negative. Like you said, you had to get out of a lot of stuff. Yeah. Sometimes it's positive. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but the point is that you're doing it and, um, it's a release. Uh, it's, a, a, a you know, you're transferring energy. I feel like, so it's really, it's powerful. And everyone throughout time has connected with this create, you know, we're human beings we are creative, Yeah. whether it's in our cooking or clothing or, you know, whatever we're doing. Um, but, You know, to detach from that, which it's not encouraged in our culture. So either we're doing it and not paying attention to it, Uh not valuing it, or we're not doing it. And um, Mm -hmm. that's a little bit, I would say, unhealthy, I think, for people to do. Um, So that's part of the reason I teach, too, is just to, you know, it's like a remembering. When people create, it's like they're remembering this part of themselves that they've forgotten or that they've lost over time. Mm -hmm. Because we're all children. We were all creative and that's a lot. Where for me, that's where my joy is. Um, so, yeah, it's. I hope. I wish everyone was did something creative every day.
1: Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And there, there's so many folks out there who sadly have been trained to think that oh, artists are these separate yeah people this demigods and they have to have this magic to them that the rest of us plebeians don't have (laughs) and i i oh i want to um take away that horrible myth because i feel it limits people from doing things that they dream of doing yes um, well because they believe that Mm -hmm. i
0: totally agree i that was me that's why i never did that i mean i i um always had this like i was drawn to art. And I said, mm-hmm. interestingly, there were all these little clues. I wrote an article about this um, on Scouty Girl. There were all these clues in my life, kind of directing me to, to be a painter, but I was ignoring them. So mm-hmm. even when I was a kid for like eight years, in all my textbooks and my binders, I've, I would doodle flowers all over the sides and they look exactly like my paintings now. <laughs> um, and yeah. And I always told my parents, I went in an art studio and I, I've told, I told people my whole life someday I'm going to have an art studio. But I, I said that so many times, but I never said I'm going to be an artist. I, it's so bizarre to me that I never thought I was an artist, but I, I knew I was like, someday I'm, ha- I'm going to have an art studio that for some reason I never transferred to like, well, maybe you should be an artist. then like, that's just like, And I always <laughs> told myself, art enthusiast, because I thought, I'm not one of those people, but I can support those gifted people that are artists, and now I've learned, if you're if you're calling yourself something like that, you shouldn't be on the sidelines cheering them on, you need to be the one doing that work, so I should have been the artist, if you're mm-hmm. saying I'm a, you know, whatever enthusiast, no, you're not, you're that person, you know go do it, um, that's what I've learned, but I was one of those people that thought there were only a select few, and that yeah. is such a, like, I feel like we've been so, that's a training of our culture, because mm-hmm. if you go to other cultures, everyone is creative, everyone's an artist, so we buy into that story, and it shuts us down, and everyone says to me, I mean, not everyone, I hear this, I'm not an artist, I'm not creative, yeah. and I, I just am like, I don't even know, I there's so much to say that I'm like, I don't, <laughs> don't know where to start with, you know, because it's like, how do you convince someone they are, but I used to say that too, and I'm like, no, you are creative. It doesn't matter what you create. It, it's so irrelevant. It's that it's that act of creating, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah. I mean, if it brings you joy, I mean, maybe it doesn't, but there has to be something because I just feel like that's part of being alive is mm-hmm. be, you know, tapping into your creativity, even if it's how you do your hair or, um, you know, how you present food. It's just mm-hmm there's so much beauty there and there's so much, it's a connect, it's a way to connect with others. It's a way to express yourself. Um, yeah. So I hope, I, I hope things are changing. I hope people are more inclined to do art and, you know, I don't know. It's not encouraged in schools anymore. And a lot of those programs have been cut. So we'll see how that goes, but
1: mm, yeah, yeah. True enough. Uh, so what advice would you give to your younger artist self? Other than uh, believe you can be an artist.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I wish I had told myself that when I was really young. I, um, I would have started earlier and kept with it. I mean, I did I did art, but then I got away from it for a long time, um, and I think I would have had a much healthier, you know, life if I had stayed with it. My advice would just be, um, you know, to just believe in yourself and go for it and – I'm in a good place now. I feel like I, um, I can play and have fun and, uh, not, but it took me a while to get there. So I would just, and you know, it's a lot of work. I mean, you have to put the time in. I, I feel like that's how you get. So when I started, I knew my art wasn't looking at like how I wanted it to look, but I knew I could get to that point. It just, it's going to take time. So I always tell myself, I'm so excited. I can't wait to see what my art looks like in 10 years. I am so excited to yeah. see that. And so I'm working toward that and I'm evolving. And so it's okay. It's, you know, it doesn't really matter what it looks like. You're always learning, or growing. Um, the way I paint, it's there's no right or wrong. I mean, it's, you know, if you like it, that's great. Um, yeah, so just to believe in yourself and try to be playful, you know, Um unlearn a lot of what you've been taught. So (laughs) no, get rid of the negative.
1: Uh What's your favorite art book or story?
0: Oh, there's so many, you know, right now, one of my current favorite books is, um, big magic by Elizabeth Gilbert.
1: Ah, Yeah. I was thinking about doing, um, my take on her book or my reflections from the book after this, on oh, really? yeah perfect
0: timing yeah <laughs> that's a good segue um yeah I love her I loved this book so I'm oh holding God. it right now actually it was on my desk uh-huh. um yeah you know I really enjoyed every I have it, the whole thing's underlined basically there's so many great quotes in here yeah um the one about um you know the treasures that we have inside of us like the great um, thing about the universe is it's like planted all these treasures inside of us, and do we have the courage to bring them forth? Mm. And I just love that imagery because I feel like that's how painting is to me. And that's how meeting other people, like sometimes people bring things out in you that you, you didn't even know were there. So <laughs> it's really encouraged it encourages me to go out there and meet people and have experiences. It's a very like kind of spiritual approach to um, creativity. I, so it, she has a healthy view of it, and I like the idea for me of taking care of your creativity instead of asking it to take care of you financially. Um, I like her attitude because not everybody can go out and quit their job right away, be an artist. And instead of kind of being frustrated by that, like, why can't this support me? It's She always had the attitude, I'm going to support you. I will do whatever I have to do to take care of my 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 art in her case her writing okay Okay. I just love it Mm -hmm. yeah yeah right now yeah Yeah. I'm I'm going through a transition in my life where I I'm probably going to need to do um outside work besides my art just for a little more stability hmm. and so that reading that was great because I was like I'll do whatever I have to do so I can keep doing my art instead of like just giving up I and mean, being like I have to go get a nine-to-five job mm-hmm. no I'll do whatever I have so I I'm working at like my friend's dog daycare center right now
1: oh that sounds fun awesome.
0: yeah I mean I get to be outside I will, and I don't, I don't know if I want to sit at a desk all the time so I get to be outside and play with dogs and working at my yoga studio. So it's like, I'm protecting my art and it's just a really great mentality to work from that space in my head and, and make, make it work that way. Yeah. yeah, That's a great book. I would love, I would listen to your podcast about that book for sure.
1: <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> we'll, we'll tack it on the end here. Yeah. yeah. Well, Carrie Schmidt, thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me. These were great questions
0: and um, I hope everybody enjoys it. And, You know, they can join me on any social media. Um, I I love answering questions and connecting,
1: so. Wonderful, wonderful, thank you. Okay, so now I'd like to share with you a book recommendation and review, if you will, of Elizabeth Gilbert's new book, Big Magic, Creative Living Beyond Fear. And along with it, I'm going to share a personal story that is related. So this book I found to be delightfully well-written, as always. Elizabeth Gilbert is an excellent writer who weaves in personal stories and humor in a, um, a very fun-loving way. A couple of the ideas in the book that I absolutely loved and have to just rah, 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 say right on one is that life should be driven more by curiosity than by fear and we have to let go of those fears. Not live without fear but temper it. <laughs> she talked a lot about um, the stereotype of the tormented artist and I have seen that true to be true time and time again. I've had people tell me that all real artists are crazy somebody actually said that to me once and um, and I find it to be very limiting when people think artists have to be tormented or that they have to be clinically insane and it's in my opinion usually used as an excuse to not do what they dream about doing you know a person dreams of making music or whatever but they don't do it because well then I would be crazy and it's a nice excuse to be lazy. And I and I think that the, the stereotype of the tormented artist is also derived from a couple of well-known artists throughout history who we can look to and say, well, they were amazing artists and they had some mental instability, so perhaps it was the mental instability that created their fabulous art, you know, the classic example being Van Gogh. Um, I would have to refute that by saying that, well, <laughs> there are many, 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 many thousands and thousands of people in the world who are uh, sadly have mental instability and who do not create any form of artwork that is culturally significant. And that's <laughs> my my own <laughs> my own beef, but um, I absolutely agreed with what she had to say about. S- the suffering that people put themselves through and and being a martyr for their art and getting wrapped up in that idea of the tormented artist. I think really the best, well, many successful artists are ones who diligently work hard at their craft. They don't give up. They're not doing it sporadically and Through that dedication, light shines forth. Now, Elizabeth Gilbert says that much more eloquently than me in the book, but that's the general idea, and I agree 100%. One one thing she mentioned in the book was responding to critics. How do you respond to a critic uh, when someone writes in or does, you know, overview of your book or whatever, and is negative about it, she says, quote, smile sweetly and suggest as politely as you possibly can, that they can go make their own fucking art, and then stubbornly continue making yours. Um, I love this, because Every person I've ever encountered who was, you know, either critical of my work or is criticizing another person's artwork who happens to be on the wall of a museum or whatever, are all people who have voiced to me that they wanted to create art, but oh, they're afraid and they're, they're timid and da, da 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 da, and so it's easier for them to be critical of other people than it is to just go do what they want to do, and I think. Art is one of those things that people tend to, they have a hierarchy in their head, and what they like must be the only way to go. It's their way or the highway. And with other things, we we don't do that. You know, I would never walk into a friend's house and see that they had a leopard print couch and say, oh my gosh, that's wrong you shouldn't do that no it's their house it's their couch it's not what i would choose but they have every right to do that but with with art work for some reason people tend to think that their own criticism is is what should be valued above anybody else's you know our our own opinions always being the right ones <laughs> Another thought she had was on perfectionism. She said, "To be successful, you have to be willing to declare your projects as complete, even if they aren't perfect, because perfection is an impossible goal anyway." And again, you know, I, I have I have seen this before, uh, time and time again, where students have, have said, "Well, it's it's not perfect." I I can't let it go. And and even, um, oftentimes, they'll keep working at a painting and work at it and work at it and work at it. And there was a sweet spot where, where perhaps it was finished. But they, they wanted to make it perfect, so they kept going and they kept going and they kept going until they ruined it. They overworked it. And Elizabeth Gilbert gives more examples that are of people who... Don't start projects because they're afraid, well, if if I can't be perfect and I know it won't be, then why even bother? And that's just a, a very negative way of viewing the world. I learned about myself when Elizabeth Gilbert told the story of how she decided as a teenager to be a writer committed to that one art form and has pursued it constantly until now. What was shocking to me about that was how I looked back at my own life and I realized, well, I've had so many different art forms, so many different mediums, and it can be so gratifying to focus on one art form When I've focused on painting the past few years, I've just grown by leaps and bounds. I've learned so much about myself. So much has come out from that. And that focusing on one art form can be just tremendous. And she has focused on writing as her art form. Now, I do think that for myself, there have been some seasons of my life where other art forms lent themselves better to what I needed or wanted to say. So for example, when I was in my 20s, I had a need to put aside painting. And in its place, I ended up playing a lot of music. Um, you have a sample of that at the beginning of this podcast. I I, pl- I did a lot of gardening and I did a lot of quilting and That's how I used my creative energy, how I honed my creative energy. It was fascinating for me to hear how she had, at such an early age, focused on one art form. No right or wrong here, but I learned about myself. Oh, I loved this. She cautioned people from getting advanced degrees in art said you, you know, you can go to workshops, you can uh, read books on the subjects that you're learning, and most importantly, you can just do your own artwork. Just sit your butt in the chair and get it done," as Diane De La Casas said to us. The main concept is a book that I had to wrap my head around and think about, because it was new to me was the concept of ideas having a life of their own. She had us imagine that ideas are floating from one person to another until they find a home. And she relates a personal story that happened between her, Elizabeth Gilbert, and Anne Pratchett, who is another writer. Now I'm not gonna tell you the story here because it's long and it's complicated and it's rather awe-inspiring. In in that story, she relates this idea that ideas have a life of their own, they're floating from one person to another, and it reminded me of Carl Jung's ideas on the collective unconscious, the idea that there are symbols and archetypes that are universal to human experience, and so we can all understand them. And that that's not this quite the same idea as what Elizabeth Gilbert was relating, but it reminded me of that um, belief that our our unconscious could be connected to other people's unconscious, and I I couldn't I I can't quite decide how I feel about that concept, and so I'm going to sit on it a while and keep thinking, but um but I would like to propose another idea that perhaps fabulous ideas that come to artists and scientists and and other people when they come, there's an idea of multiple discovery where the ideas can be discovered by many different people around the world at the same time, even though no one's ever thought of it before. And perhaps that could be from a collective unconscious. That's the idea. Um, I'd also like to propose that perhaps we think of things at the same time as other people, because our experiences are similar. One of my favorite sayings is we're more alike than our differences. And you know, we, We are individuals who are having unique experiences, lily white snowflakes, if you will. But we, at the same time, our our lives are so similar to other people's that it's not surprising that we might come up with concepts, ideas, things might become important to us at the same time even though we're different people, but our experiences of the world are similar. So for example, in the book, Elizabeth Gilbert shares how many people came up to her after she wrote Eat, Pray, Love, which is a story about her getting over her divorce and moving on after that. And She says many people went up to her after she wrote the book and said, oh, I was going to write that book. That was going to be my book, and you stole it from me, which is a bit presumptuous and ridiculous. If you, you know, those people didn't put any pen to paper. Um, But not only that, many, many people in the world of late have dealt with divorce in a new way. You know, our society's been changing and its views of relationships, um, and and our roles in them for some time, and how we deal with divorce is something that many people have been struggling with, and so her writing about that is a common experience in our modern world. And so, of course, it resonated with a lot of people who've had similar experiences. Now, I don't say this to detract from Elizabeth Gilbert's more mystical explanation for such phenomenon, because I thoroughly respect her beliefs, and I find it liberating how honest and open she is being about sharing those beliefs. Because If we aren't being honest, we're never going to get anywhere or learn from each other. Plus, I have my own mystical story for which I have no explanation. Now, I'd like to share that story. That's a personal story. And it is my most mystical art story. And this is not one that I put in my book, The Alchemy of Art Stories for the Classroom. Didn't quite fit for that. But I think it fits for this podcast. I can share it with you and then you guys can take from it whatever you will. (laughs) I still don't know quite what to think of it. So some background. In 1986, when I was eight years old, my father passed away from cancer Now, he was a musician. He played the trombone in local jazz bands and things like that. His profession, he was a band director at a local high school and middle school. Uh, Well-loved in the community. There were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people at his funeral. And his funeral took place in the Episcopal Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. Now, flash forward another uh, 15 plus years. I was now living in Asheville, North Carolina with my husband had grown up and we returned to Knoxville to go to my grandmother's funeral. So this was my father's mother. She passed away. We returned to Knoxville. And after her funeral, my mother, my sister, Sean, my husband, and I decided to go visit my father's gravesite at the Episcopal Church. And my father had always said that he did not want to be buried in the ground. He wanted to be put in a crematorium. So, that being his wishes, that's what we did after he passed away. So, we get to the Episcopal Church and it was a Saturday afternoon. We knock on the door. No one answered. We were able to get in. The the door was unlocked, and we went to where the crematorium was in the basement area. That section of the building was locked. And we figured, well, somebody's got to be here because we were able to get in. Surely they don't leave it unlocked all the time. So we wandered around, and we headed up toward the main sanctuary. And as we did, we started to hear music. It was very, very loud music. When we arrived in the sanctuary, we were astonished to find that there was one person playing music at the back by the organ. And that young man was doing a solo musical piece with the trombone. As I told you before, the trombone was my father's instrument, and we just stood there in the sanctuary. We kind of wandered around a little bit, just listening to the music, absorbing the music. It was as if my father was playing the music for us. And it was, I can't, I can't express this enough. It was so loud. It was so loud. We couldn't talk unless we had shouted at each other. And my mother walked up to the organ area and hiked up the little stairs and, and talked to this young man and told her him that she we were all very moved because we were here to visit my father's grave and that my father had been um, a trombone player and this was very special to us. And they gave us the key to go down to the crematorium area. So we, we took the key and, and the young man started playing again, practicing his piece. We went down to the crematorium <laughs> said hello <laughs> but it, it was as if he wasn't in that room he was up in the sanctuary <laughs> so we we went back up the stairs went to the sanctuary and um and then gave back the key and enjoyed this young man's playing for a few more minutes until it was time for us to go and so as you can imagine when 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 you leave a situation like that, one has to think what are the chances? What are the chances that on this particular day that we happen to be visiting, you know, we hadn't visited my father's gravesite in 10 plus years at that point, but what were the chances that someone would be there doing a solo performance? Using his instrument, um, it was mind boggling. Now, I am a very skeptical person and I never want to jump to any conclusions about what it could or could not be. So I wouldn't be presumptuous enough to say that was God or that was his spirit or that was his. I don't know. Um, In my own mind, it's a mystery. And that's part of what made it so divine. But it it was the sort of experience with art that we all crave. It was a connection to my father who had been long dead through another person, through another person's artwork, an art form. You know, maybe maybe it just came from the universal spirit in us that wants to create, that wants to sing out and play and celebrate. In any rate, it was a comfort to me to hear that playing that day. It was a beautiful, awe-inspiring experience. The sort of experience that I live for. The sort of experience that makes me want to keep creating art. So I'll end this little um, review of Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic with one of my favorite quotes from the book. She said, do whatever brings you to life. Follow your own fascinations, obsessions, and compulsions. Trust them. Create whatever causes a revolution in your heart. So I just want to throw out there on the off chance that Elizabeth Gilbert herself ever happens to hear this podcast. I would love, love, love to invite you, Elizabeth Gilbert, to come speak to us here on the Alchemy of Art show and hear more of your thoughts on art, the art process, and what it means to you. And I tried to reach out to you with an email, but apparently Elizabeth Gilbert's email does not actually exist. But I know that that can't be true because I know that she is, in fact, a real flesh-and-blood person. (laughs) I believe it she's out there. (laughs) In fact, I would even venture to say that it's her humanity that makes her words so poignant. (laughs) May these stories about art and the creative process inspire you. May you find your voice. You have been listening to the Alchemy of Art podcast.
0: To find out more about Addie Hirshton and her work, go to azirfineart.com. That's A-Z-H-I-R-F-I-N-E-A-R-T dot com.